I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Rick Kelly. And we love to watch. We love to watch things. Tyler Durden is sort of the model for most podcasters. He does give a lot of speeches. <laughs> a lot like of speechifying. Every, a lot of speechifying. I imagine it's what it's like if you, you know, there are podcasts that don't have co-hosts. They're just guys who talk. I, mean, I imagine podcasts are just like masculinity cults now. Yeah, I think there's a lot, probably a lot of bullet points. <laughs> Project Mayhem would be a podcast network. <laughs> this movie came out in 2023. Uh, but yeah, we're... Well, where we left to watch, we're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around that theme. If we remember, we compare and contrast. We're doing our fifth annual double super summer month where we do two months worth of a theme. Uh, and we're in our second week of uh, dorm poster summer, uh, which is now that I think of it uh, season seasonally, not a good Connection because school's done, school's out for summer, as some people would say. Alice Cooper, namely, yeah, um, right. And yet we're we're talking about like what you have to decorate your dorm room, and that's because we know that kids when they go to college they spend all summer picking out the perfect dorm poster, only to settle on the same five, and we want to cover <laughs> on those movies. But also the other impetus of doing this month is Peter and I had this idea for these movies that both have have kind of turned they, they, at one point I think they seemed like uh, uh, Gen X or the Millennials like new film canon that uh, we talked about that a lot last week about Roger Ebert like not liking Donnie Darko not liking Fight Club and a lot of people who kind of grew up with Roger Ebert like myself going oh he doesn't understand these cool new movies that are perfect blah 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 and the way that a lot of these movies that we're trying to cover are both A movies that may have meant something to us a long time ago we haven't seen in a while we want a chance to like revisit away from a lot of like 20 years worth of discussion um and and talk through them some of them we still very much like next week we're doing goodfellas spoiler alert i fucking love goodfellas it's an amazing <laughs> yeah. it's an amazing movie um and some like donnie darko i think you and i were mixed to negative about last week and then fight club which we're doing this week which is like just a just a very complicated movie that i'm really excited to get into uh but before we do that we're joined by many time guests of the show rick kelly first time on video yeah for you it's the same for you. <laughs> like if you're listening there's no different i just want to know that if if rick starts getting very annoyed with us and it kind of changes the vibe but he's only communicating non-verbally to us <laughs> I thought you were saying that's what's happening. If you're like video. Rick, does yeah, not want to like these people. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna be bad. It's also not my first time on video. I was on. I've been on video. Yeah, like earlier, gonna... to, uh, earlier today. So yeah, yeah, and several okay. security cameras. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Guess what, guys? We are taped everywhere we go. It's part of News of Braille and State. Fight Club warned us against it. We did not right. listen. Right. And now, yeah, we're on video all the time, so we should feel natural. Rick, um, if you, it's been like about a year since you you were been on. I think you Sounds did. Right. Uh, was it Lost in America? I know one of the Albert books. Yeah, was. yeah, Lost in America. Yeah. Uh, any? Do you want to introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. My name is Rick. I'm. Uh... Sometime film critic. I used to be a 
online film critic of some kind, and uh, now I just go on the show occasionally. I guess once every year, make an annual <laughs> visit, my pilgrimage. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm uh, I my. Oh. Um. Yeah, I got nothing else to add. I'm gonna okay. <laughs> the the what's weird about that is that sweetie. He's, he's a full-time sweetie. Um, what What is funny about that is that our relationship with Rick and friend of the show, Carrie, has evolved to almost like a daily conversation. So it is weird. Like every once in a while we'll be like, oh, shit, have we invited these people we talk to every day on the podcast where we met them? And so, yeah, then we feel a little bad. So you should be on more than once a year. At least 1.5 to 2 times on average, I think, would be good. We could just bump up the average, yeah. 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 What does it say that while our when our relationship got closer and closer, we wanted to talk to you less about movies? I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe or more about worse movies. About asking you not, to podcast. <laughs> we, we didn't want to hear you talk about movies. We wanted to see your thoughts yeah. in the written word. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. More like a pistolary relationship. Yeah, exactly. It's like Dracula. Um, yeah. we, we, we. Peter we, likes anything that's like Dracula. Yeah. yeah. That's really I'm a big. <laughs> I'm a Drac fan. <laughs> Um, you've actually, I was going to say, those are previous episodes you've been on, covered yeah. someone that was um, the um, non-union German equivalent of Dracula, <laughs> Mr. Nosferatu himself. And um, I was going to say, is, yeah, you know what? I think it's just that we respect we respect Carrie and you too much to ask you to come on the podcast yeah. much these days. <laughs> well, I appreciate, I appreciate being here or not being here. Plus, you guys are also on... <laughs> constant rotation uh in my house so like we love to watch kind of echoes through the hallways of uh my house as well we kind of permanent guests that's very sweet that's good it was weird that your uh your daughter's first word was aaron and pete yeah (laughs) it was combined (laughs) yeah (laughs) alarming yeah uh so let, there's a lot to talk about with this one. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I don't know how we just don't start with sharing our history about this movie because I, I think a lot of that's going to be tied into it. And I can start. I this this one is I, it's, it's going to be easy for me to talk about from a removed perspective, but I hadn't seen this in probably 15 years. But in the the the, the intervening 10 years before that, I probably saw this movie 400 500 times. I did not need to rewatch this movie for the podcast. I knew every point. I still remember seeing this when I was a sophomore in high school. I remember where I was and I remember the person who turned it off who was uh, somewhat Christian and thought this movie's gone on too long enough or long enough I don't want to continue watching it and me literally everyone else kind of demurring politely like oh of course it's your house and me going okay uh, I'm going to take my tape that I back and I'm going to go find some other house to watch this in right now because I need to know how it ends I was I wasn't like rude or a jerk to them but I was like that's, I, I get it but I'm going to I need to I'm too into I'm this invested movie. I'm very invested I I don't think there is a movie that I um, was into quicker or harder like uh, deeper whatever this is the movie I still cite as like where I started noticing what a director does and it just was throwing so much you know I've talked about from the beginning of this podcast how much I love maximalism in films whether we're talking about Gokei or whatever else and this movie just felt like it was throwing so much at me so quickly in a way of using like narration which I was a big fan of uh, using these little like I'm going to take you through this story having these very funny moments these little like capitalist critiques about how things are stupid 
you know, hitting some other points that I think were very common in 1999. And I think feel the feeling around people in high school of like, what do we do when we graduate? We just go to an, a stupid office job and be around stupid people like a matrix or an office space that were kind of hitting all those. And then it went to this, like, again, this, this kind of insane plot thread and kept throughout. It had almost like seemingly unlimited energy to take every frame and every moment and do something unique with it and like this is kind of a movie that i credit from going from like liking movies to like liking directors cinephilia and kind of feeling like oh i don't just need to watch like the best movies of all time on afi lists or things like that like where are movies where directors are doing this exciting things i saw this before i saw stuff like goodfellas and a lot of other things that i think hit me in those same kind of like i've just never seen a fucking movie like this and so that was really where I kind of fell in love with it. I, you know, like a lot of people, probably maybe not YouTube, but so kind of became obsessed with it. It was hard to rent. I actually worked at a video store, so I got it on one of those screeners um, that you could only get on the video store. And this was uh, when it would become a rental six months before you could buy it. So, like, I was doing things like printing out the screenplay, buying the soundtrack, buying the book and other things because it was very difficult for me to watch it. And once I could watch it uh, – I watched it wherever I could. I uh, This was the first DVD I got. My friends got it for me, uh, a DVD player and a this DVD for, I think, my 17th birthday or something like that. And I watched every special feature. Those, you know, I was like, oh, my God, these commentaries are amazing. I'm learning how we did all this stuff. And, you know, so from that perspective, it was really – I think it was really um, effective for me. I was not one of those people that, like, became obsessed with the concept of, like, I've, I've – Transparently, I've never thrown a punch in my life. I've never actually been in a fight ever. Uh, I've never, I've never, I've never tried to even jokingly do like a fight club or something like that. There were part of this message though that felt compelling to me in a way that I didn't recognize probably at a younger age is like, a, a, as Roger Ebert calls it, a textbook guide for fascism, where it's like these capitalist systems are bad. I recognize how stupid some of these other things were. I probably missed some of the misogynistic like underpinnings of this earlier on and I and I was again I felt like I was more focused on the 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 story the the way the the movie was telling its story than maybe some of the thematic stuff to like I wasn't walking around saying like you're not a beautiful unique snowflake I was I was very on the Mister Rogers train as if, and thought that we were all special and unique um, and that kind of thing and then of course like I still ended up loving the movie but it, it became a movie that I was introducing to people that no one had never seen it to becoming someone ubiquitous to as I went to college and and, and met people. And then as I went on online to find other people who liked Fight Club, started to notice that there was a real um, a real uh, darker energy <laughs> to a lot of their <laughs> fandom and what they viewed of this movie that didn't necessarily reflect my experience. And so it's a movie like for 15 years I kind of put away because I felt like the, the pervasive toxicity of the fandom – didn't necessarily – wouldn't mean – I would still say this is a five-star movie and I love this movie and this movie was important to me. But it's kind of like a lot of those movies where you're like, I don't need to tell everyone that I like Fight Club. I'm The the online community around it has has such a toxic – saying you like Fight Club it makes people want to say I have four follow-up questions to know if I should say fuck you and run away forever or <laughs> or if I should engage with whatever you're doing. And so like – 
that's, you know, when we were talking about doing this month, this was a big one for me because it felt like, man, David Fincher as a filmmaker is still very important to me. This movie is like I from my film fandom may look very different without this movie um, and everything else. while also just recognizing that some of the worst elements of our society have locked on to this message. And instead of seeing it as a as a tract against fascism, it's it's sort of promoting it. And again, I can see it. The last thing I'll say before I turn it over to to you guys is like this is a movie that I also have a very complicated relationship with where even though I think it's a really good movie, do I think the world would be a slightly better place if this movie didn't exist? And I think the answer to that is yes. I think this is a truly somewhat – someone called it a dangerous movie in a review I was reading. And I actually think that's not true of most movies and I think it is kind of true of this movie. I think this – because this is skating so close to its satirical targets and it's targeted at an age when people, young men specifically, who are feeling disinfected, disaffected um, are likely to miss some of the satirical underpinnings of this movie. I think this movie, it's not the movie's fault. It doesn't deserve to go into movie jail or banned or anything like that. But I do think that this movie has inspired a lot of terrible people in our our society and that maybe our culture would be better if it didn't exist. <laughs> I I think probably my story is pretty close to yours. I'd like to quickly yeah. get it over to Rick. Um, but like, yeah, loved it. In, I was a little younger than you, so I loved it in like junior high. I watched it on DVD oh. a ton. Um, <clears throat> one of those early DVDs I had that like my yeah. friends and I watched incessantly. Yeah. Um, greatly influential to movies going forward in a way it's as influential as pulp fiction yeah. um just you can see its blood throughout the 2000s and like particularly in tv like the snappy cutesy editing and like the weird hallucinatory moments like him talking yeah. to the penguin like yeah that stuff is like even in tv now that that's like their code for like this this is an edgy work um yeah so, uh, yeah, I really quickly absolutely- that even the twist too has been used in everything from Mr. Robot. Like this is now a like template twist that gets used quite often. High, yeah. high what, not high anxiety, um, high tension. Um, yeah. like ton- tons of movies have Which, the fight club twist now. <laughs> the two, two examples you named, uh, ruin those projects for me. Uh, but, yeah. hundred um, percent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, high tension becomes weirdly homophobic when you do that plot. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, I, uh, absolutely like thought these guys were cool as shit. I was 13. Um, absolutely like ended up in weird corners of the internet because of it and had to be like, well, maybe this is too far. I don't know. Um, absolutely can agree with you that like, while I don't blame this movie for, um, for the, uh, worst people attaching themselves to it, um, there's a chance that there'd be a lot of people healthier, if this movie didn't exist, I still think it's a good movie. I no longer think it's a masterpiece that defines my identity and my personhood the way I did when I was 13, um, which I think is good. Um, it's probably good to not yeah. have that so much. Um, but uh, yeah, pretty pretty standard sort of like I saw it way too young. And uh, since we're talking right now, I didn't become a um, incel masculinity guru or something. <laughs> <laughs> didn't become a complete piece of shit <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and I also I don't think this movie led me down any weird da- dangerous political holes because I was just too young like I my I, at that age I was just mostly an- anachronistic a- anarchistic <laughs> 
You were out of time. Yeah, you ran out of time. Yeah, anarchistic. But yeah, um, yeah, Rick, what's your history with this? Did you hate this immediately? Did this have a moment for you? What's your What's your history? No, it's interesting to hear uh, to hear you all because I'm a little bit ahead of that in that uh, you know I was almost at the end of college when it came out. It must have been my junior year, and I saw it in theaters. So, and then I like, didn't really see it on um, its DVD release. I was actually reading it had like a notable DVD release in terms of those special features and stuff. Um, but that wasn't really yeah. part of my media diet. But um, yeah, I, I thought, you know, the, the anti-consumer culture stuff and the sort of rapid fire um, editing and visual stuff was, you know, it caught me at the time. I thought it was cool. I thought, I think I did have... Uh, pick up on the undercurrents of something kind of a little grosser about it than just like this cool aesthetic. There's something it's, it's, it's got like yeah. a fascist undercurrent that's there. It's called out a lot and it's, you know, it exists there, but uh, it's also, you know, I, years later I worked with a guy who said, uh, I was like, you know, what are you into? And he said, fight club was his favorite movie. And he was really into Brent Easton Ellis. And you're like, Oh, okay. That like means something very specific about yeah you. yeah you know it's a, one is a data point but like <laughs> starts to tell a story when you have these specific data points included yeah and he was terrible as it turned out um, <laughs> that's a good data point too yeah, yeah so a third a third data point <laughs> um, bad yeah. person <laughs> so until watching it the other night um, I hadn't seen it in a lot of years so it was interesting to return to. And I do, you know, I don't know, we'll, we'll get into our thoughts about it, I guess. But my history is actually pretty minimal, except for its, like, role in the culture, you know? Yeah. Yeah, what's funny is that, like, again, I, I have a I have a lot to say about its cultural impact. And, and, you know, I have a lot of respect now for, like, the Roger Ebert reviews that gave it two stars, called it a, like, how to be a fascist handbook, and, and felt like it was potentially, like, you know, I like I see that. I don't always agree with Roger Ebert on a lot of things. I, I, I still what what's funny is that my return to this movie, I actually like appreciated it for in a different way than I had previously. Like, you know, this movie really is a movie that's ahead of its time. Like in a lot of ways, in at least from an American like cultural dynamic. Like you, you know, Peter, you mentioned incels, like incels weren't a real like cultural thing in 1999 or 1996 when this book was written. And where I think Chuck Palahniuk, the author of this book and where it feels like it does feel like, man, how much it is, it becomes a little bit of a wag the dog situation, but like how, how much this was kind of pointing towards this idea that there is a, is a, undercurrent of disconnected youth to uh to an identity to an identity of like nationalism or an identity of like consumerism they feel left behind by the culture and stuff like that and how you know there is a a very like easy opportunity for people that'll tell them they're cool as shit and they don't need all these other things and all this other stuff that they think are stupid to turn it into a like fascist dangerous movement and what we've seen in the united states in the last 10 years is how fucking easy that seemed to be able to do because that those those kind of undercurrents that fight club was initially picking up on and then partially influencing were were like simmering and boiling under the surface which is like that's the line in the movie right like it was on the tip of everybody's tongue and we just gave it a name and like it feels now 
almost like, again, a prognosticator of, like, how bad things could get if, like, something based in empathy or something based in, a, like, a better way to think didn't take hold of the culture in a meaningful way because they literally, like, we were literally created a creating a tinderbox of, like, uh, male aggression in a society waiting for someone to come along and and exploit it. And, like, so I, like, I still am pretty wowed by the technical feats of this movie. I'm still impressed that I don't feel like I've really seen a movie that does all of those things, that do, does kind of what – so, so – um so aggressively and so like confidently is just like you know this movie felt very confident like we're we're doing all of these things and i'm going to keep doing it i'm going to keep doing it and you know you're going to kind of be lulled through that i still think like again the the twist is has been literally copied over and over i still remember just being like amazed by this twist amazed that upon rewatch everything holds up and even seeing it again for the first time in 15 years knowing the twist i just was consistently impressed with how many times they called it out and how obvious it never how it never was obvious to anyone i ever saw it with that the twist was coming like it is such a craft of filmmaker in the same way people give m night Shyamalan credit for six cents that it's like you can hold this up to a quite a lot of scrutiny and it's constantly calling in your face that this is what's happening and it still manages to at least in my case like put your jaw on the floor and have you scrambling for everything that you did and so i don't know like i still i have a lot of positive feelings for this movie and i still think it's like a somewhat of a 90s era masterpiece while also recognizing that like you know that's what the wag the dog commentary like how much yes this called out a culture but this also became the thing that possibly pushed you know that that helped light that tinderbox quicker or more uh a wide gave a wider birth to the explosion and so yeah that's such a complex thing because that's not chuck palinick's fault it's not david fincher's fault it's just like a weird artifact of history that we're sort of forced to reckon with about a a, a, a movie that made thirty million dollars at the block at the box office and a book that no one read initially. Yeah, and like you can you can you can like compare this movie to a lot of movies about um, various cults growing, and you know there's stuff to be said there. You can compare this movie to a lot of um, terrorist groups growing, and you could, there's a lot to be said there. Um, but the unfortunate thing here that I I hate I hate to say is that. Um, while it's a great document, pop culture document, about how um, these movements rise in a way that, like, I think is actually, like, pretty approachable. And it teaches people, like, hey, they find the little cracks. That's what fascists do. That's what terrorist yeah. leaders do. That's what cultists do. They find the little cracks in your weakness. And then they get in that crack. And then they uh, fill it in with something that's kind of gross but feels good for a little bit like they they spackled over something and then eventually the crack just keeps growing and growing and they keep putting more and more of themselves in there and then eventually there's way way more of them than there is of you and in that way it's it's you know it's it's a very powerful movie however it has a for purely like a cinematic like satisfaction point it has like one of my favorite final shots in movies oh yeah um and it's so satisfying and it has that great needle drop and um it has a great final line and and but that last that last line that last moment is indicative of the biggest problem in the movie is that it doesn't know how to how to navigate the fact 
that it calls out how dangerous these movements are. It calls out the fact that they're inherently exploitative and dehumanizing and destroy your sense of self. But doesn't Tyler Durden look fucking cool? Like, doesn't he look fucking good doing it? Like, well, also, yeah. you, the movie doesn't like, isn't like, actually, it's great to have a desk job. Like, the movie can't backtrack from that, but it can... It could have done more to backtrack from. So the answer is this. <laughs> yeah. It also, you know, a lot of time and energy is invested into um, establishing uh, Tyler Durden's charisma too, right? Like it's not as though, um, you know, the appeal is very uh, on the surface and very deep. Like there's actually a quote from Fincher where he's talking about, um, you know, he wants the audience to love him, right? And you're supposed to love him in the context of, uh, the critique, too, if you see it as a critique of, you know, um, fascist organizing, basically. But uh, it also, that's another thing that helps kind of implicate it, I think. And it's aesthetic. It can't help but elevate him as a figure because that's part of the whole structure of the story. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And you can find Tyler scary later, but, like, the reason they cast, there's a lot of people that were being considered cast for Tyler Durden. Yeah. I think Russell Crowe was in contention for one of the lead roles at some point. It's kind of one of those movies where you need a Brad Pitt figure if they had cast, say, a Jay Courtney. Um, for one, he would have been eight years old and it wouldn't have worked. Two. Yeah, different. Um, but you know what I mean. There's there's a generic sort of hunk and Jay Courtney is kind of among among our friends yeah. become the the generic sort of nothing behind the eyes kind of hunk of that era. Um <laughs> and he like you could have cast one of those guys and this movie falls apart immediately like you have to believe that somebody would hand the keys to their life over to Tyler Durden because you want to hand the keys of your life over for Tyler Durden for at least 15 or 20 minutes after he's introduced right yeah you're like wouldn't it be fucking great to go live in a shithole house and like I don't know do pranks for a while well <laughs> and but that but that and that's kind of what it does though like Fincher talks about this about how the movie doesn't work if you're not sucked up in it a little bit and like that's what we see happen to Jack, right? He he doesn't finally snap out of it until he sees this this guy that he was a nice guy get killed in front of him. But even like, you know, <coughs> even when he is fighting against it, like when he uh, uh, puts the gun against the shopkeeper's head and whatever and says like, you know, and, you know, Edward Norton's like, what are you doing? Please stop this. This is stupid the whole time. At the end, when he's like, hey, here's what I was doing, and here was what I was trying to get at, and look, there was never any danger because there was no bullets in this gun. And Jack says, you know, you had to give it to him, like, it made sense in a Tyler sort of way. Like, you are you as an audience member, and this was Fincher's intention, was supposed to start going along with it up till the point where hopefully you also feel like this has gone too far with Jack's character. Peter, the thing I think you're getting at, and I think this is the problem with – I think society as much as this movie is that like this movie and a lot of back and this, this is what like populist fascism is. Like this is what Trump and a lot of these people are doing, right? Like it is, it is correctly identifying capitalism as the symptom of a lot of their problem and then exploiting that malaise for bad action. So like, the thing that he's getting at by exploiting it and tying it back to the populism is something that, like, on the paper, on paper at the end of this movie, to your point, Peter, feels kind of good. 
Oh, they were able to, of course, at a time when clearly maybe the all the stuff wasn't, you know, on computers and the internet and stuff like that. But the idea being that, like, oh, they could just wipe out everyone's debt and not hurt anyone. Like, that – It walking away from that, it feels like, oh, that feels like an okay goal. Like, it's a cool scene. It has one of the best songs ever written playing over it. It has a cool final line. It has this exciting moment where it's like a cat and mouse game with itself that's, like, so brilliantly shot and edited that you're kind of forgetting what's happening in the moment and that you're seeing someone's mind. And then – it, you're right. Like, even if you got to the point seeing Meatloaf lying dead and everyone now just uh, chanting his name is Robert Paulson, like, oh, fuck. No one can control this. This is its own things. He can't even stop it because when he's tried – when he tries to stop it, they've put safeties for him not to be able to pull the plug and to stop this. Like, this is an uncontrollable monster. And then their ending action – outside of outside of the context of the movie is one that a lot of people would go well that's still pretty good like that'd be a good thing if we could fuck all the credit card companies and erase all the debt i think i think that is like the biggest criticism correct criticism there's a lot of criticisms of this movie but i think that is a very fair criticism where you can say like they should have shown it where people were in the building or like what life are you willing to trade to, to have your – because that's what fascism ultimately makes you choose from on a macro level. Like people's livelihoods, humanity and that kind of thing versus the populism that you're proposing to do for all the people. And this movie kind of has its cake in it too because ultimately yeah. their big action – they underline and circle – this is actually somewhat a moral good that we're doing. Yeah. 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 And like, that's the thing is if that were like the second act climax, it'd be interesting. Yeah. And I, you know, you could get somewhere else because fascism is a, a beast who's like belly is always hungry, right? Like mm-hmm. fascism, like there's always got to be a new person to other. There's always got to be a new target. There's always got to be someone outside of our little bubble that you can point and say, Hey, fuck that guy. They're the reason you don't have a job. They're the reason you're fucked up. They found a pretty good target uh, in this particular case. Um, but I uh, but like the next step, if this movement continues, the next steps are way uglier, right? They're they're not this is not um, this is not Robin Hood like antics. This is uh, this is going to escalate into more and more horrible, horrible uh death and violence and the destruction and dehumanization of the members there. And there's going to be a lot of people that without Tyler Durden there are just going to be like, well, I'm going to take the 17 principles he gave me and apply them to my life, which is going to mean mass shootings. Like once there's not a project mayhem to to focus them into a direction, the next direction is wherever that person's hunch takes them. Well, right? that I mean, that that is the problem. They have this amazingly scary scene that literally depicts the dehumanization of an individual and shows that they're expandable as part of this, where Milov is dead and they're all chanting like he's trying to say, like, this is a person I care about him that that gets taken into this. His name is Robert Paulson. I think the scariest moment of the movie is when he's like two weeks later in that other town and they're all chanting in the middle of that freezer. His name is Ro-. it's like, oh, my God, like this is a effective dehumanization and allows allows a way for their members to die and likely other people to die in a way that is is meaningful to them but meaningless to the individual and society as a whole. And like, they don't capitalize that for the final thing. There's literally just saying like, we didn't bother to evacuate the buildings or something could have like completed that circle. And yeah, I, again, I, 
I I'm not I'm I'm not quite sure the point the movie's getting at by not doing that because at that point you're not trying to be like see Brad Pitt good guy <laughs> like you you move past that you know he's the, the our protagonist doesn't think he's a good guy <laughs> anymore but he goes out of his way to still be like look I'm still a good guy and, and I yeah. guess you could say that part of like the inner fight between the two parts of his psyche or whatever. Um, and you'd be yeah. lying if you said that moment isn't like satisfying to some degree, right? You have to have a hundred percent turned on the movie for that not to have I mean, some and, sort of yeah, animal. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like a the most it triggers all your triumphant, pushes all the buttons. You know? Yeah, yeah. it's 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 cinematic. <laughs> it's it's cinematic exploitation in the way that we absolutely love, right? Like yeah. we love to be manipulated by cinema in that way, where you're like, that felt really good. <laughs> you, you built up well, that, a moment, that is, and then you. That is the thing. Like these, these like I, I do think you know part of the. I, I think that's the key to why this movie transcended art houses, right, and became like this, like you know one of the top five movies on IMDb and all these other things is because like so many of these art house movies, and we talk about this a lot. Peter ended their bummers. Like they end with like the main character dying, lost love and people that are like cinephiles that appreciate the craft of directing go and say like, see, it was it, it, like spoke to some core truth. And I, I feel that way about a lot of movies, too. But like a lot of my favorite movies and the type of movies that you were hyping up in the 90s, a lot of times were like ended on huge bummer notes. And this movie ends with a I don't remember. I don't think anyone you showed it to at the end were like, what a ride. <laughs> like what an exciting ending what a triumph <laughs> at the end it, it doesn't feel the bad guy is defeated credit card i don't have to pay my credit card statement that's a, univer- that's a universal positive that people would be thinking he kind of gets the girl and he gets to hear the pixies <laughs> like i mean it's 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 a lot of good things that happen at the end of this movie for right him. and now there's gonna be a huge like out outpouring of uh, murderous energy into the streets <laughs> <laughs> also, well, yeah, the they need the a, they need the Joker scene where they go kill I, Batman's parents. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is actually like absolutely the um, like the this is a, a movement that is hard to this like undercurrent this political undercurrent right of dissatisfaction this like un um unbridled energy and hatred of the system that gets turned into fascism is something mm-hmm. that like <clears throat> we like don't like to talk about because it's icky um which is part of the reason i thought it'd be fun to talk about this movie because it's a little icky um and like it's something that like joker was just like oh we're gonna make a movie similar to that again i mean a lot of people like to tap into that like with um like just discuss comparisons to like a lot of like uh taxi driver and a lot of like you know dirty dirty sort of like loner movies and like joe of the 70s but like Fight Club is really the movie that like Joker is tapping into that that particular group of people. And that's why the Joker thing was so hard to explain to people, because like, yeah, there were some people that saw it because it was a comic book movie. And yeah, there were people that saw that because they like Joaquin Phoenix. But like the reason it became a cultural thing and people still talk about it is like one of the great movies, even though I think that movie blows. um, Is that is that it's it touched something inside them that they felt like you know movies weren't even bothering to discuss for a while i just wish movies were having the conversation in a more responsible manner um yeah yeah because i mean that is the fascism doesn't work if you're satisfied with your life and you love all your neighbors like it just doesn't right like you know and and this this fight club's tapping into it really well like i i 
you know, I was a, I was a little younger than you, Rick, but like I was already like like I you know dreading that idea of like why am I going to college so I can get some stupid job like and I I know most like if people didn't like have something that they were passionate about at a young age and whether they end up doing those or not is almost beside the point but like you know I knew people that like I want to be a veterinarian I want to be a doctor I want to be you know that that kind of thing it's like i i literally know what my career goal is and i need a spe- specific schooling to get there if you were like me and wanted to write movies which is not something you need to go to school for and recognize how challenging it was going to be to make it make my way in a capitalist society through doing something that i was passionate about but like has no financial guarantee and i'm like i guess i'm going to school to get a job someday and like this is this is what i pictured a job being like right like you know the office space the fight club the like you go to a place that you hate and you do something at a computer for a certain amount of time and then and then you go home because like and like how how like angry i was that that was the you know my parents didn't have money that was going to be my life if i wanted to buy cool Fight Club on DVD with commentaries and like eat and go out to bars with friends. Like you just get like, I remember being very like, I I don't think I would have put the title of that as angry, but I was dissatisfied that that was seemingly going to be my future. Sure. And I I think that's like one of the strengths, both of the movie and of, um, you know, the character, the critique within the story of, you know, this kind of dissatisfaction, uh, alienation under capitalism, malaise, um, you know, sort of like diminished expectations, this feeling of being lost and unstuck, et cetera. So like, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. The whole, the problem is it's being, where it's being channeled, you know what I mean? Yeah. The charismatic figure, but uh, it's not an unfamiliar thing at all. Like, I feel like that there's an appealing anti-establishment you know, vibe that's like, you know, yeah, definitely targeted to that age. But, you know, it's also there's, a, there's an adolescent quality to it as well, which I think is where, it, you know, where it gets tagged. And yeah, and it's kind of what we, of we talked about that with high fidelity a little, right, Peter? Like that high fidelity is a like should have a PG-30 rating. <laughs> like the idea that like it's a it's a good movie that's like doing OK by its character, but by its nature is it, it's putting you in the head of Rob and if you and Rob is played by John Cusack and he's very charismatic and you there's a lot of things that in a vacuum you like about Rob and so like if you don't have all the context about like who Rob is to everyone else from like your lived experience you could end up thinking that like being a shitty misogynist to women and seeing them as objects to be one or owned or whatever else is an okay uh, is an okay philosophy as long as you like cool music and and can you have the aesthetics of John Cusack yeah appealing and like this is I feel like this is the same thing like this this movie is really like as it, it has all of the traps of like if if this is the first movie that you see that does this and does this and does this it's gonna blow your little fucking movie watching head because whatever you saw whatever Pixar movie or Spielberg movie you saw didn't do these sort of things and like that in and of itself is like it's so exciting (laughs) it's kind of getting you lost in like i've just never i mean that was my thing right like i've never seen a movie like this never seen anything close to this and like of course like thankfully i didn't walk away going like uh you know maybe you know maybe a woman isn't what we need and i'm punching my friends and stuff like that but like 
I was definitely like bright eyed and like, wow, I've never seen the sooner I can watch that again, the better, because I just haven't experienced art that felt like that before. Yeah. And and, and I, I to jump on what Rick was saying uh, a moment ago, like a lot of the a lot of what the movie starts off saying is absolutely correct. <laughs> like, yeah, um, they, I really do appreciate the way that the movie carefully lays out who the protagonist character is. Um, I'll just say Jack. I don't feel like yeah. doing this the thing where they're like, actually, he's Tyler Durden, so we need to say Tyler Durden. The narrator. One, and yeah. There's Jack is Edward Norton, and Brad Pitt is Tyler Durden, and if that's confusing, we can say Edward Norton and, yeah. Tyler, and uh, Brad Pitt. Um, they do a very good job laying out, like, the appeal of that like ikea lifestyle and like especially like now that like we're preparing to have a kid like you get sucked into it well we're like well you need that you need that kind of bassinet you need that and then they're like and then the baby will be fine the baby will be fine because we have the correct bassinet like you start to even like it get you get in, in these parts in your life where, like i'm an adult which means i need to have an adult bed an adult bed has this this and this and like yeah oh i can't have the shitty dress this shitty dresser that was ha- that was a hand-me-down and is crooked like this anymore <laughs> i need to have this and this and this and you go through these my kid cycles. could die my, yeah, that my dresser dre- that's crooked that'll fall on you my dresser is so fucked up so this analogy actually is really <laughs> home with me or maybe, I know, I <laughs> maybe, my I hand. To, maybe i need to grow the fuck up and get a better dresser my third drawer of my dresser has like a the the metal part is off and yeah. I cut my hand on it so much and I do nothing about it. Yeah. And my point is not that we need to all go buy a new dresser. My point is that the movie appeals Wait, You're to making that this part. capitalism thing sound really, really good. <laughs> the point is I that, also like, like uh, oh, sorry, that, go ahead. The thing that, the thing that, like, you, at least I, I don't know about you guys. I don't want to speak for you, but I get sucked into sometimes where I'm like, well. Uh, we gotta switch out the furniture in that room because that wood grain doesn't match that wood grain. And you're like, who gives a fucking shit? Who gives a shit? I don't need to go. I don't need to involve uh, a uh, like a, a, a wood pulp company from southern China in my my purchasing decisions. Like, it's fine. It's fine. Like, we're we. I can have this this dresser that I've had for a long time. But you get sucked into these these ideas very quickly. That if I just buy this thing, I'll be happy. And then like I'll put it off for a long time. I'm like I have the clothes that I need, and they all fit. And my body's not changing shape, so I'm fine. And then like I'll catch myself. I'm like what's well, summer? I should buy some new clothes. Yeah, why? Well, like, yeah, I, I want to feel like I don't want to wear the same t-shirts I wore last summer. I mean, <laughs> it, this it, summer it is, I'm it, different, Pete. And the fact that this movie also came out before online shopping also feels like, you know, the scene where he's kind of walking through the catalog and he's calling on the phone. Yeah, single, single thing. Like, this also feels like pressure from that. Like, that idea of, like, the, the how easy you are to be like, I feel depressed or I feel like I don't have anything going on in my life and I can just po- pop open Amazon or go to the criteria is there a criterion sale like what can i do to give myself a little energetic charge and this also like movie is 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 missed how aggressive capitalism would be would become like i couldn't help but like think about like so i this is this is showing my age and how much more susceptible i am to things but like i have wanted a new pair of sunglasses and i saw a Facebook ad for a pair of sunglasses that were like, oh, those look rad. I'm going to get those. I'm going to go, I'm going to order off of Facebook. Uh, I'm going to click well, this Rick link. shared an ad for Ray-Bans that were uh, $80 they were like, off. They were like $30. <laughs> he never they were got like, them. They were like pink. They look like, I mean, they look like a very lame 80s thing that I've decided is going to be my old man aesthetic as I grow up. But cool. um, I, I loved them. I thought they were great. 
every website I've been on in the past week has decided that not only do I like, I'm a man who likes sunglasses. <laughs> only thing I've ever been interested in in my fucking life, <laughs> and that's most of my spending money is should go towards purchasing more sunglasses. And they like, are right. I, I have, they're, yeah, yes, they're correct. It you, is you a, do need 20 pairs of sunglasses. It's amazing. Like, yeah. You do have 20 hats. So. Summer, it's summertime. <laughs> yeah, it's summertime, baby. Summertime. It is just like amazing how aggressive it is. Like, hey, oh, yeah. You know how you like those sunglasses that one time? What about you get a sun, buy a sunglass every day? Maybe. Yeah. Like, could you just, it's just one, once a day, get yourself something nice. Please have it be a sunglass. We've invested so much money oh, in yeah. giving you sunglasses ads all day, every day, at every website you visit and any device in the entire world. Like, my, yeah. my prime example was uh, we uh, were, uh, we had a backspace in an old apartment and I was like, I'm going to get a hammock and mount this into the studs back here. And I looked up a hammock and I started to realize we didn't have enough space for a hammock to actually like extend it fully out. And I was like, I guess I won't get a hammock. That's fine. For the next six months, every website I went on was like, this motherfucker sure? wants a hammock <laughs> so bad. And I was like, I don't have a space for it. You want to come over here and measure my fucking walls? <laughs> I wanted the hammock. I wanted to participate in capitalism, right? <laughs> but you won't even let me let me give up this. Try and sell me something new. I bet I'll buy it. I'm mad now. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it does speak to how bad it is, though. Still, too, because like I recently ordered dessert from a restaurant, and then an hour later, it gave me that this exact dessert. It's like not only do I not want this right now, just, you're like throwing it in my face that I had a fucking dessert. <laughs> like, like I'm disgusted. I'm never gonna eat this dessert again. Like I'm, I feel full and gross and sick. And every website I go to, you show me this fucking dessert. Like I'm gonna think about my purchases better. You're, yeah. you're putting the price up. I spent twelve dollars on that dessert. You think I feel good about that? Website sick. Yeah, you get what I'm saying. This movie starts off on a good foot because it's actually accessing like the things that I am still mad about. I did. I thought that maybe they would get better between when I was 13 and didn't have money. And now when I don't have money for different reasons, Um, more complicated, weird reasons. Um, (laughs) But um, the it starts off in the the anti-consumerist sort of uh, path that it walks down is like very delicate and very gentle at first and Tyler Durden jumps in when he jumps into the movie he's just sort of like sharing fun little tidbits that may or may not be true like I don't know if oxygen pacifies you more trust me I I was upset not true not true I assumed a lot of what Tyler Durden says is bullshit because it kind of adds to the but the fact that if someone says that to you is a real fact again that's a great warning flag around (laughs) Liking Brady and Alice being terrible. Um, yeah. But you, know, the, you know what I mean? The movie starts off in a very convincing, a very convincing, very sexy allure, like like Rick was saying. And like some of the stuff that they're getting into, like still, still very much like touches some deep down core in me where I was like, yeah, that is pretty fucking depressing that I Well, the that. other thing it's, it's pretty depressing real... that I feel like that once a year. The other thing that it's doing that very subtly and very smartly and something I didn't catch when I saw it when I was 16 or whatever was that it's also presenting how the capitalist systems and the ideal of like go work this job and do this things has already devalued and dehumanized you like the the concept of life like his job specifically is kind of designed to show that like you know 
the the culture that you're spending money on and devoting your life to legitimately sees you as a number sign, as a dollar sign. And they walk through that formula around car accidents and recalls and stuff like that. And like, you know, what the one thing they don't do though, which again is a very subtle way to show the system's already fucked, so who cares if you devalue it and dehumanize it and like connecting that to fascism where it's it's asking a lot for an audience that again not david fincher's fault there's a lot of 16 to 22 year old white men white straight cis men that saw this movie and glommed onto it and stuff like that but the problem it's not doing is it's not connecting what like an actual true rebellion would be like if a system that exists already has dehumanized and devalued your life that like the actual act of rebellion is to work towards humanization and valuation and like that kind of thing. And it's not connecting those dots for you as an alternate. It's just saying the system and I'm not saying it, it's required to, but I think that is the that that's that's the part that I think people go like they see that philosophy presented as, look, the system's already fucked. It just wants you to spend money and it doesn't care about your life and everything else. Why don't we you know, fight fire with fire against that because the system itself is inherently not uh, not uh, requiring any respect because it's not giving us respect. Yeah, yeah, I think we're kind of I think we're kind of in there. Um, do you want to kind of get into the plot and what actually this movie is? I was is... really hoping you were going to ask us if we wanted to talk about Fight Club, which is our actual yeah. correct way to segue why would i ask such a thing i'm just saying like that is we say you're ready to talk about how I know could you not answer. say it for this movie peter um under under project mayhem uh we peter. don't have any names so i don't even know how to address you <laughs> blue shirt we have no names <laughs> uh hey guys do you want to talk about fight club sure what well, I mean, how else are we going to get more members? That's a problem they, they, they do talk about in the movie directly. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I see a lot of new faces around here. Thank you? That, well, they all applaud. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> a little bit about Chuck Palahniuk. So he uh, wrote the, this novel in 1996. He was an independent author. He was part of uh, uh, Rick. I hate putting you on the spot. What was the? Do you remember? He was he, this came this idea for this novel came from three uh, three factors. One, he was part of a Portland chapter of an uh, anarchist movement. I forget what it was called. Cacophony Society. Okay. News um, to me. Yeah. So he was a member of the Cacophony Society in the 80s in Portland, which again was just kind of doing little anarchist pranks, nothing like violent or anything like that. And then by two two situations, uh, one, he um, he had gotten to a fight on a camping trip and he had to go into the office the next day and he was all beat up and he was kind of amazed at like how people immediately treated him differently 
buy that experience and just like people like didn't want to talk to him and like no one really was directly asking him about why he had uh why he had um uh punches and stuff or like uh black eyes and things like that but it was clearly like uh you know what what is happening uh what is happening with this um and then the other thing that inspired him is that he um Oh, he volunteered for uh, terminally ill people and had been a part of different support groups, like as an observer and things like that. And thought the idea of like that he was finding that he was getting some level of um, help with insomnia because he did suffer from insomnia and felt like when he went to doctors, they didn't treat it as a real condition, refused to prescribe things and were dismissive and found that like kind of hearing people as he was working and volunteering in these hospice situations – kind of granted him a semblance of, of peace. Uh, he wasn't going and lying about it. He was present in the support groups for, for other reasons, but those those kind of three things conflated to, to the, the concept of this novel. I was kind of a, like, because I liked Fight Club so much, I, I read a few. I read Choke. I read Survivor, which I remember really liking. Uh, Survivor Lullaby. I loved. I, I'm yeah. a little scared to return to it, but it was one of my favorite books for a long time. Yeah, there was a film made, but it is about a guy crashing a plane, so like a lot of things it was scrapped after don't want to blame it all on 9-11, but <laughs> it certainly was the explicit reason why they stopped production on it. Um, but uh, I, I do – I also remember, though, like, I didn't realize, like, liking Fight Club and Chuck Palahniuk was a warning sign until I started dating this girl in, like, 2008. And she's like, well, what's an author you really like? And was like, Chuck Palahniuk. She's like, mm, that's a big red flag. I, like, I think she said, like, that's a huge red flag. And I'm like, oh. Is it? Like, I just like the way he's, he's got a unique style. Like, yeah, people I know that like Chuck Palahniuk, it's not a good thing to like. <laughs> not a good first thing to say. So I was your Brett Easton Ellis example, Rick, to this this girl Maggie who I went on a few dates with. But, um, uh, yeah, so that's a little bit about uh, where this movie came to be. It was, again, uh, Fincher, after the game, had a chance to make it. They went through a lot of casting stuff. Uh, it came out and was kind of like it made – it was. I think its budget was like thirty million dollars. Made like thirty eight point thirty eight point eight million dollars or something like that. And it, you know, was one of those things that took off on on home video as more people got a chance. Yeah, I remember seeing the trailers obsessively, and this you can understand why this movie is almost destined to become something of a cult movie, uh, pun intended, because the 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 trailers looked stupid. I didn't see it in theaters. It was like, oh, these two guys fight each other and like joke about whether they want to fight Gandhi or William Shatner like it didn't like I liked Edward Norton and I liked Brad Pitt enough and I was like okay this looks stupid <laughs> and and then when everyone I knew started talking that I'd seen in theater started talking about it and I like you know was pretty quick pretty quick to grab it um but let's get into the plot of the movie I don't think we have to spend too much time I feel like if you've if you're you probably have seen Fight Club I mean it's just like um, but it, it's divided into essentially like uh, I don't know three sections. I would say there's the the first part, which is really Jack Edward Norton's um, character and his life, uh, his life working in an office job he hates, buying shit he doesn't need, and uh, as a as a recall coordinator for a major auto industry. And this is actually the part of the movie that Roger Ebert really liked. He thought the satire was very sharp. He thought the 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 maximalism of the directing and kind of showing this person who feels no connection to human beings unless he's talking to people with like deadly diseases specifically and going to these support groups in line 
uh, to everyone as a way to cry and release and like to escape the soul drenched, soul sucking insomnia of his life. Uh, throughout this part of the movie, you have all these weird things that are happening. There's like three or four inserts of Brad Pitt for no reason. I remember being perplexed as to what I was seeing, which is like, again, one of those. There's all these amazing things that almost like demand rewatches for people that are like, what the fuck did I just see? And those yeah. those moments are, are I'd really forgotten, great. I'd forgotten about that entirely. <clears throat> uh, I hate to say that not only it had been 15 years since I've seen this movie, but I knew exactly every single moment in every part. So... Tells you a little bit where I was. Uh, the, the second part is he meets Brad Pitt on this plane. They have the exact same briefcase and he offers him an alternative. And lo and behold, serendipitously, he goes home and his apartment is blown up and he calls Tyler Jordan and says, can I crash at your place? And they start by just he's like, you know, saying, oh, all your stupid personal stuff is gone. Like, what a shame, blah, blah, blah. And then for fun, they he Brad Pitt, Tyler Jordan suggests they have a fight outside of this bar. Uh, and they feel like, you know, it felt like a release, like it was their new support group. Instead of hearing about death, they felt physical pain and felt closer to a connection to each other. He goes and lives in their shitty house and they start doing this more and more until more and more people and the titular fight club is is born. He um, uh, people go, I want in on that. They start fighting. They start making up rules for how this secret club in this bar is going to be kept secret uh, meanwhile, there's a per- person named Marla, who was also a faker from the therapy days, who um, Tyler Durden ends up uh, – she calls saying she's going to kill herself. Jack says, oh, go ahead, kill yourself. And uh, Brad Pitt ends up picking the phone and uh, they start sleeping together, which is very frustrating to Jack because he feels like I finally have this like connection with this person and we're doing these great things and I'm enjoying life. And now this stupid girl is coming and having sex with him and – and and I don't want her in my house. I don't want her invading my space. Um, After she's already ruined the support group swarm. So yeah, it's like yeah. It's kind of malevolent. Life yeah, ruining her. Ruining those things. Um, so the Fight Club, though, this is where it kind of takes initially a very humorous turn. They p- start passing out homework assignments. I remember the start a fight and lose with a stranger and lose was like, it still is a very funny scene set to very bouncy music for the Dusk Brothers who did the soundtrack. Um, they start doing these homework assignments to kind of fuck with uh, civilization. You're not a u- uh, beautiful, unique snowflake. Everything is terrible. You're going to go... But let's fuck with with all let's fight back. And this is the way we're going to fight back by smashing out, uh, deploying airbags with bats to the windshield by, uh, you know, uh, defacing uh, modern art uh, by getting uh, all the uh, cars shit on at a, at, a, at a car dealership lot, all those sort of things. Um, yeah, yeah. That are on the surface harmless, but again, invest people into, you know, I'm going to break the law. I'm going to do this dangerous thing and I'm going to unite with these other people that are doing that. Uh, The club kind of graduates to something called Project Mayhem. Jack's not really involved at first, which is the idea that now they're going to come live at their house and start doing these acts more specifically. There's less of a fight club and more of we're going to we're going to start actually focusing on these assignments and homework. And there's, of course, like all cults are very rigorous Rig, uh, rigorous uh, way to get in there. We have to sit outside for three days, no food. Then you got to shave your head. You got to renounce your name and, and everything else. Um, through this, one of the characters, Meatloaf, played by Bob, who had testicular cancer and was one of the first people that helped Jack sleep. He has been part of the Fight Club and is now part of this Project Mayhem where they're running around doing stuff. He gets killed. 
And that's really the point where Jack starts recognizing like, oh, this is a person. This was a lovable person that I cared about. We're running around and having fun and playing games and doing all this dangerous thing. There's there's a there's a real human cost. And he's kind of trying to stop it. Um, he gets jealous of Jared Leto, uh, which really you should never be jealous of Jared Leto in any capacity. You, I don't care who you are. You're better than Jared Leto. <laughs> I can, I can almost assure you of that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Aaron, Aaron's uh, belief system is that everybody on the earth has self worth. You know, there's there's no one on on earth who's the worst person, um, except for Jared Leto, who is in fact. <laughs> i mean every every group no matter how positive needs to have one enemy it's like why jerry's like that in parks and recreation i think as a as society we can unite against jared leto i think that's a fair target and deserving of our ire uh so but anyway so he brad pitt's like hey you're 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 making this about us and it's about the mission and uh, gets him into a car accident and wakes up brad pitt's gone he starts searching for him. He finds all these weird things. There's different chapters, everything else. And he's no one is talking to him, but everyone seems to know who he is. Um, and he finally goes into this place with this guy with a broken neck, <laughs> like in traction or whatever, almost. And he's like, um, he finally kind of reveals, like, are, is this a test? Yeah, I can tell you who you are. Like, you're Tyler Durden. And he freaks out. He goes back. He calls Marla. And he's like, what, what, you know, who am I? What's my name? He's like, are you crazy? Like Tyler Durden, you're Tyler Durden. And he then has a conversation with Brad Pitt that basically reveals that he is a, I don't think it's like, I think, thank God they never say multiple personality disorder in the, in the movie. Cause that is an overused trope. It is like this weird, like undiagnosable unactual medical like projection that he was doing and creating a fantasy figure that he was then kind of following and pretending fantastic like insane fantastical thinking with um where he, he would kind of shut off mentally again good good fiction trope i'm glad they didn't tie it, try to tie it into like something that could be diagnosed uh so then he tries to put a stop to all this he realizes that oh my gosh i can't believe i did all this stuff everyone that he meets is a part of project mayhem <laughs> Uh, which is very funny. Like, clearly this has grown legs bigger than you can imagine. They're trying to kill Marla. He finally has a confrontation on top of this building with his imaginary self and realizes that even though he's getting the shit kicked out of him, he is he exists in the same body and he can outsmart. Uh, so he puts a bullet in the back of his, like, uh, cheek, which mentally severs, like, the need for his existence. He stood up to his fascist figure um, and uh, he watches the buildings explode and says "You says to Marla as they hold hands and watch, like, you just met me at a really strange time in my life. Yeah. And the way I've read that, thank you, Aaron, the way I've always read that ending is that he actually thought he was killing himself. Um, yes. And in that act of final self-destruction, he destroyed Tyler Durden. It's not that, like, just hurting himself bad enough killed Tyler Durden. Um, yeah. But he I, actually thought he's going to – but he just, like, went out his cheek. Yeah, I think the, the – the, I, I, I mean, you could – that's definitely a, a part where I feel like where I've had stupid plot hole stuff with pe- – conversations with people afterwards. Like, that's been the biggest topic. But I think you just may like, well, he, he already exists – in an imaginary space anyways. So if the person who's imagineering him into existence has a, decides that like this act of I'm willing to die rather than go on with this person in control of my life is a way to excise that like, you know, faux demon that's possessing him. Like, it, yeah, I, think I, it I, 
I, I, I will say, uh, as with Donnie Darko, there's obviously some conversations to be had here about the responsibility around schizophrenia that may be, may be advocating um, suicide as a way to kill your um, visions uh, dur- during your schizophrenia or multiple personality <laughs> episodes. It's not particularly responsible, but I don't know if we... I, I think Donnie Darko is, is, is worse because Donnie Darko literally says this is uh, you have schizophrenia and you're visiting this counselor and taking medication for a real thing called schizophrenia. I do think like this... Like I said, I mean, it's it's obviously like taking the idea of like two individual beings existing in one body. But it does a little bit when it's kind of has the denouncement and explaining like, here's how this is functionally worked for the audience's sake. And mm-hmm. the idea that like many times he's existing and watching and like he has he has felt impotent in the face of society and created his own Uber, you know, Uber Superman or whatever to to do all the things that he couldn't like i don't think it's trying to be realistic i don't think it's trying to be like like obviously when marla says stuff like like you need like serious professional help which is actually the movie finally going like hey maybe listen to the women around you but it gets gets like drawn out you know like men will start a fight club instead of go to therapy is literally basically (laughs) is is literally basically a line that marla has in this movie it gets drowned out by the excitement that's going on in that moment but she she's not referring to the fact that like you need therapy because you have schizophrenia or, or or have mental health but like you're violent and you know and like an abusive really, boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, an abusive boyfriend. Yeah. I I know just well one last note there. Uh, a lot of movies that I love uh would not pass the um particularly uh conflicting rigors of Susan Sontag. Um though I do find that it's been a helpful metric um to to look at movies through which is like are you basically making mental illness into like this um symbolic uh, literary device that yeah. you can play around with like a toy like maybe not super responsible but I, I don't know if we have space to talk about it too much yeah i'm not today. saying its hands know. are fully clean but it's it's clearly doing something different than like hey maybe you're gonna yeah maybe, maybe you're gonna think that the the bunny is real maybe you're gonna yeah. think it's a symptom of a real disease yeah. <laughs> like i don't know rick, rick rick what do you make of the ending overall i'm not gonna i'm not gonna ask you to fight your way out of that weird corner <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I mean, I think at its root, it's trying to give us the the triumph that we were talking about before. This sort of um, to me, it's a, it really have its cake and eat it too. Is the the best way to describe it. But um, you know, the whole, the mental illness conversation is interesting because I do think that like what they're going for, it's less of a story of mental illness to me than you know he's like Tyler Durden figure is like a projection of. Uh, all these social struggles, all these social ills, right? Um, and a response to it simultaneously. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like that might still be irresponsible to use uh, the symbology um, there, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem to me it's really that much of a story of like a quote unquote split personality as it is about yeah. the sort of like dangers of charismatic leadership and the channeling of like repressed energies in a you know in a repressive social structure or economic system yeah and the idea that when it comes when those the an expression for those um 
those uh, repressed um, those repressed feelings comes out. It's going to come out in unhealthy and unnatural ways that yeah. completely uh, completely destabilize your life and your existence. Like right, I, I right. think that it's a fun metaphor in that sense. Um, I just did, did have to recognize that the ending uh, is probably pretty troubling for a lot of people, yeah. um, particularly people that struggle with delusions. So, uh, Rick, yeah. can I ask you a quick question? So, we gave you a list of like eight movies. You picked this one. Why? Why did you pick this one? That was like I would love to come and talk about this movie specifically. Yeah, I mean, I was eager to revisit it because I had only like I caught it on the front end and yeah. before the discourse happened. So, you know, I was just kind of interested in. Uh, and seeing what it looked like now, I actually felt pretty positive to it. I feel like the yeah. um, the first section is the strongest. The first third is the strongest, even though it also is like some of the the Palinic touches because they're straight out of the book, uh, which I started reading as well. So I was like, yeah. oh, I should check this out. And it's funny, all the narration is from the book. Um, oh yeah, mm-hmm. so that's a funny thing to realize. But uh, you know, the fact that like he starts the first. Um, you know, he doesn't just like channel masculine energies. He starts as like a at a testicular removal therapy. Like that's literally yeah. it's like, and there's yeah. a lot of touches like that where it's like, all right, <laughs> I guess it's, it's a little cute, but sure, you know. Um, well, you know what's so funny about that? So when I think people know, most people would know now that Chuck Palahniuk is a, is a is a gay man. But one of the things this book got criticized for is like a, uh, uh, you know, uh, heterosexual fantasy and like this, like too much like straight men testosterone. And like there has been a little bit of like attempt to Chuck Palahniuk is a very complicated figure, I think, with with in, in, in modern times, which is not necessarily too surprising. He like. He, he really likes the concept of like the snow, you know, snowflake, which is now a very common term is from his book and from this movie. The idea that you're a, you're a snowflake. And he thinks that that's he, he likes that that has been used that way. He, you know, he thinks that people do need to, you know, toughen up and like not be offended by everything. He's not like a Trumper or anything, but he does have that kind of like almost like Bill Maher or some of these like old liberal type like everyone. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. That there's some, but, but there's some like very. I think the Bill Maher comparison is pretty interesting because I was reading an interview with him. So I was like, "What does he actually think about all this?" And you're expecting him to just be like, "I got paid. Fuck all these people. I don't care if they gave me their money. Fuck up." Like you'd expect that response out of any, especially yeah. a gay man. Um, uh, his response was like, "Well, you know, I hate white supremacists. White supremacists kill my father." And then he just kind of stops there. And and it's like, and then the next question is like, well, how do you feel about the fact that Nazis celebrate this text and, and, and have start, you know, tried to start fight clubs as a means yeah. of recruitment? And, um, which by the way, the journalism on that is a little weird. Sometimes it's just like young people fucking around and it's not actually like a political motiv- politically motivated tool. Um, I was trying to find more examples of that. It was just something a journalist threw out and I couldn't really find a whole lot behind it. Um, and he, he was, uh, he was like, well, alt-right people also, you know, study this as a way to, like, teach people how to, like, lose their – lose themselves and, like, actually punch Nazis. And I can't tell some people to read my book and other people not to read my book. And I'm like, you absolutely can, my man. <laughs> you absolutely can. Yeah. I mean, you can't stop them from purchasing it. 
that's yeah, crucial. but you can say, hey, if you like my book and you're a Nazi, you suck. Like, I mean, that's not that hard. And they'll still buy the fucking book. Like, you're, it's yeah. How many? How many? How many? How many? It's not a brave stance. Yeah. How many times has the like Matrix been co-opted and the Wachowski sisters have said like, for the love of God, fuck all of you, please. Like, this movie is not for you, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. People still use red pill, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, I, that's, that's I think it's it's tough. It's 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 made the situation a little tougher that he is definitely a more of a. I think that the closest corollary I could say is like he's like a South Park centrist. Like he who no he, uh, who's it, the first reform guy? He reminds me a little of Paul Schrader. <laughs> like some things I, you say, like some of his movies just have this like man, he's getting at some key issue, and then you hear him talk, and you're like, shut the fuck up. Please. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Makes me think that you don't believe anything and what your movies are about sometimes. Well, yeah, you watch First Reform and you're like, yeah. Paul Schrader is a genius. He's the only one brave enough to talk about climate change in the way that it needs to be talked about in, his, yeah. in these movies. And then you listen to a Paul Schrader interview and you're like, you got kicked out of a poker game for a what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's interesting, though, that Rick, that like this... I do think it's interesting. You're right. Like you, you came. You, you were, you were a little bit obviously older than us, and a lot of people that like glommed onto this this movie as this like, uh, you know, crazy expression of cinema that we hadn't seen before. This maximalist like pop art piece. Um, but it's it's also interesting that you kind of just stayed awake. Like, oh yeah, people. You know, it, it's it's. I feel like I have a few of those movies too that like I saw. I thought was good. Sometimes even great, but I didn't like rewatch it and then they take on these like cultural lives of your own that you're like oh that's you know that's kind of bizarre about how much like you know literally hearing verbiage from it like you're not a unique snowflake or like all these other things that have come from this that are like you know this this is a movie that like has reached that level of like you are probably saying Fight Club lines or referencing Fight Club without knowing that it's from Fight Club yeah I think also I mean you know, not to diminish what other people's like early experiences were, but there was like there's like a cornball aspect to some of it to like his yeah. big speeches, and uh, I feel like <laughs> in in in, uh, in Ebert's review he described he quotes there's some Tyler Durden quote that he's like he says this like um, someone stumbling over a Nietzsche display on the way to the coffee bar at Borders. Like, <laughs> it's that you're not your fucking khakis which is like <laughs> the exclamation of a scene so powerful the film you know shakes off of its of its role and like it's effective through that right. um because of the way that it's being shot but that was a part where i was like oh i do remember thinking this was powerful and now i think it is very silly that it's big. <laughs> yeah and, and that's yeah. and that's the thing is like it's not there Those Gap times. commercials were everywhere, though. Just oh, yeah. You, you, you need to sort out the difference between when this movie is actually providing, I think, salient criticism of, like, fascism and men's rights movements and um, cultists, notably cultists and terrorist groups. Like, yeah. you need you need to kind of sort that out from... Uh, actually, at the time, we just thought this was really cool. We hadn't seen a lot like this. Um, we hadn't seen a million student, student films and commercials be like, you said what? Besides, <laughs> the frames are going crazy. Like we haven't seen. He's saying what we're all thinking. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to look like Tommy Hilfiger and that guy. I can't, literally, I don't think I can. So it's great if I don't have to. I, I do wonder. I do wonder if if the fact that when I was a kid, I, I loved Tyler Durden throughout the entire movie, and I didn't like 
think everything he was saying was correct, right? But I, like, loved him. Like, I thought he was charismatic the entire yeah, movie. Sure. And now I get about 50 minutes, 45 minutes into the movie, and I'm, like, sick of his shit. Yeah. Like, it, I'm wondering if that's a product of me getting older and wiser, or if his thing has been co-opted by so many douchebags, and I've had to listen to so many of those fucking douchebags... Um, and, and admittedly, like, I listen to clips and, of their stuff on my own. I yep. watch that. Aaron and I watch the same YouTube channel. It's like a guy's <laughs> whole life is just like watching Jordan Peterson videos and analyzing like the strange, the strange philosophical nonsense of his existence. Like, yeah. These you, wait, guys, you guys watch videos of another guy watching videos of Jordan Peterson? So there's a, <laughs> there's a, one of my favorite ch- channels on YouTube. Yeah. It's called Some More News. He Some more does news, a yeah. three-hour <laughs> critique of Jordan Peterson that I probably watch or listen to like while I'm doing other things like podcast style at least five times. Wow. Like, um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. Uh, because so- it is like – because you watch it. I mean actually Jordan Peterson is a perfect like analog without looking like Brad Pitt. But I suppose the thing was is that like if you were a member who was like sucked into Fight Club, yeah. you weren't getting Brad, Kidd as a, Brad Pitt as a visualization. You were getting like sort of slump – you know, frumpy uh, uh, Edward Norton like who – does not look cool in most of those scenes when, like, compared to the Brad Pitt version. So I think from from that analog, it actually works okay. Like, when you're like, how is this Jordan Peterson guy who everything he says is stupid and dumb on its face and he has no charisma and he's constantly saying these, like, you know, these these lines that are like, you know – you're not your fucking khaki or whatever. And it's like, that's so stupid. Who cares about that? Yet he's attracted this amazing following of – of of like incels and right wingers, and then he complains that no women come to his shows because they're not ready to hear his message yeah. and stuff. But like that. I got about so. forty minutes into this movie, and all, and I had I, the point is like whether it's the movie inspired the, an, an entire generation of annoying people, or I'm just older and I'm more I have more of a hair trigger for douchebaggery. Maybe both, probably both. Um, but uh, I Tyler Durden is this like annoying preachy peacocker. This like try hard dork that only Brad Pitt can make look cool, look cool yeah. for uh, any period of time, and it's a it's a feat that Brad Pitt is able to pull it off for any amount of time. I, I this is a, one quick his performance in this is really good. It, he's really great in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I love this era of like wiry weird Brad Pitt. Um, he his body in this is is insane. Apparently, apparently, um. Rob McElhenney was telling a story about getting in shape for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia when he just gets absolutely fucking shredded. Yeah. And he said, basically, he talked to the guy. um, He talked to, like, a personal trainer, like one of those Hollywood personal trainers. And he was like, every guy that comes in here says that they want Brad Pitt in Fight Club's body. Every guy. They don't want to look like Arnold. They've given. They've moved on from, like, bodybuilding, body sculpting. They don't want to look like Arnold. They want to look lean, and they want to have cum gutters. Like, yeah. they want to have, they want to have, like, this specific type of frame. And there's a line that, that um, uh, Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden says, which the movie reminds you he's not a real person. Um, self-improvement is masturbation. Um, now self-destruction is the, you know, yeah. self-destruction is the name of the game. You do not look like Brad Pitt for even eight seconds. 
because of genetics. You look like Brad Pitt because you have a team of experts carefully modulating the amount of salt allowed in your body. <laughs> yeah. That scene, that scene where, like, he stands up after the fight, grabs the cigarette, and, like, with his cum gutters on full display. I, I mean, that was a the scene CGs. that I think everyone I – yeah, everyone I – showed this movie to i think like had a had an orgasm at some like there was you, you that you do like, gasp a little bit like, it's like, just Jesus. like oh is that the the hottest anyone has ever looked and like you kind of forget like this is like the like uh this is like the male version of like hey i'm up here because his face is completely fucked up and no one remembers that yeah <laughs> like because they're picturing brad pitt without his face fucked up with uh, like standing up from that like, they're doing face swap from Brad yeah. Pitt 20 yeah. minutes earlier. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think that's what's happening. The the other reason why this movie I think was so good, like it became kind of a cultural phenomenon. Rick, you you called it like this is a this is a very famous like DVD. It was when DVD was you know 2000 DVDs are just hitting. This was like a huge. If you weren't didn't know what the Criterion Collection is, this two disc, every promo, every preview, four commentaries, all like no one had heard of that. And so, and it was just you know in Target. It was also like had it was when they were doing like cool packaging and stuff like that. It was in this like uh like this paper box look like it just like didn't like it was like a something to be um open and stuff like that and it's a movie that like that level of access to special features is is like highly rewarding to do i can tell you watching this movie i remembered every little thing that i used to tell people probably very annoyingly about this movie like when you're watching all the you know because i because i'd seen it so much and they call out all these things on the things that like a a, a it rewards obsessive watching. Like there's that scene where he's early on before he's met Brad Pitt, he's watching, he's describing single serving life in the hotels. And there's that welcome from all the maitre d's in the kitchen on the hotel screen. And like Brad Pitt's in the, in the right, like he, Tyler Durden is there already working at that, at that rest, at that hotel restaurant that he's staying at. Like the, the people are the the guy who one of the guys that starts a fight the priest he's the guy two scenes later that wins his fight club and like he looks totally different but like all there's so many moments like that within the movie that just kind of reward this like you know that david fincher is really doing that kind of like you know he shot i think something like four times the normal amount of film that you would shoot for a movie of this length and like you know doing every trick from the obvious ones like you know the dick showing up you know, cut into frame to like the little like um, you know going going off rails on the on the the film grain and stuff like that. That just kind of rewards that. Like, if you want to be obsessed about every little nook and cranny that Fincher packed into this, and now you have a medium in DVD that allows you to learn about everything and watch it over and over and see all these other deleted scenes and promos that never aired and all these other things. It's allowing you a vehicle to like become obsessive and then the internet's launching so it, i do think like for a movie that would have 10 years earlier become a kind of forgotten box office you know dud a little bit and like people would like follow up with later on and like oh have you seen this movie it like it almost like launched a generation of film obsessives because of all these other tools at its disposal at the time of its release yeah it and um, that's it's it's a good point because this was a movie that like it didn't blow up the box office. This is not a movie that's this is not a movie that's famous because uh everyone in America saw it. It was sort of a box o- close to a box office bomb. Yeah, it made its um, budget back. Probably not marketing but, costs. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. You include the marketing costs and the fact that, like, I actually, like, saw TV commercials for this on TV. And I'm like, yeah, yeah probably. Um, and then the this was just an era when movies could make back their sales on DVD. Um, and that, like, it sold a ton of copies of the book, obviously. Uh, the yep. book, is, 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 uh, Rick has is, is noted, is not that far off from the movie. Um, one notable change is uh, the ending. Yeah, which um, I won't spoil if you are planning to read it all the way through. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, yeah, it's different. I have not it's read. A, it. Have you read the sequels? Book, right. There's. Uh, yeah, I did. There's not two know. sequels. I did not know that he had two. I knew he had one. Um, this does okay. So this does kind They're of. They're called I, Fight Club Two and Fight Club Three. If you're looking for them on your local library, they they went for uh, trip graphic spotting two route. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I have not, uh, read them. Uh, I did, well, for, uh, I didn't know Fight Club 3 existed. I will admit that if it was someone I, I trusted more than Chuck Palahniuk, I, I would be curious. Yeah. I, think I think he is, he had I think Lullaby was my last Palahniuk. I, I've, I've moved on. I think that he had a period of time where he was writing very interesting and, and, and really exciting work. I loved yep. Survivor. I loved Fight Club. Um, I loved Choke. I loved Choke. Lullaby. I loved, I think I loved Haunted or at least liked a lot of it. Like I read a lot of his stuff back then. Yeah. Um, and um, he also had a True Stories collection that I liked. Yep. Um, but I, I read, I read a lot of those books back then and really in, enjoyed them. But like, I don't particularly trust him to wrangle based on particular interviews to wrangle with the legacy of Fight Club in a continuing story. <laughs> so- However... I do. Yeah. When I was watching this, I did have this weird feeling like I'm like, because the movie is over two hours. It moves propulsively, at least for me. Yeah. I didn't I didn't feel the length at all. No, it was over. It feels it always feels like it's over, which also helped obsessive rewatching. It's over before yeah. it starts almost. Yeah. Um, it's both. It was also something we'll say about Goodfellas next week. Like Goodfellas yeah. is, is both a very long movie, but also it's just like, oh, well, shit. I guess I, I was supposed to go to the grocery store an hour ago. Um <laughs> Um, I'm just like yeah. him on that final day. Yeah, <laughs> late for everything. <laughs> but I, 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 uh, I was watching this movie and had that, like I was saying, maybe the 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 building exploding is like the top of the second act. Yeah, um, and then there's another act that's sort of the the cult, like after Tyler Durden has gone away. Um, I or maybe he has to play Tyler Durden to like try and wrangle the cult back in, like. That's a. I think that's an interesting premise for more story. Uh, I think Fight Club Three is is even worse. I did read the three sentence plot uh, on Fight Club Three, and I got to tell you, if you're like maybe he pulled the thread back, this is the plot of Fight Club Three from the logline that uh, uh, Tyler slash Jack is married to uh, Marla. And Jack is worried that their second kid together may actually be Tyler's. So, yeah, I I guess it's like a fucking Dark Tower Song of Susanna thing going on. Like, what a stupid premise. I like, again, if people were like, no, it sounds stupid, but it's good. Great. No one fucking likes it. And that sounds like the worst possible way you could take Fight Club. Yeah, is one of yeah. my kids. Like, I will say, of, is one of my two kids actually my imaginary <laughs> doppelganger that I created to make myself feel better? Like, how does that translate? If, if anything, like, it'd be like, aren't you having some problems if you are worried that one of your kids <laughs> is 
uh, is is was not made by your your sperm, but your imaginary friend that lives in your sperm. Like, yeah, half imaginary. No, I I uh, but yeah, I I do recommend uh, Rick finishing the first book because it's very good. Um, yeah, and then per- perhaps considering stopping. Um, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's let's talk some more about like what like some specifics about this movie because I think that like. There's lines in this that I'm like, oh, I know exactly why fascist gleamed gleamed onto this. Like, um, I love. There's a line where your generation raised by women, and we're, I'm wondering if another woman is the answer we need. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. It's like that incel, is an, yeah. that is an insult tattoo if I've ever seen it. Like, yeah, it probably is. Oh, it's um, also the, that that scene is. Uh... When one of them is in the bathtub, right? The other one's on the yep. toilet. One of them's in the bathtub. I've actually yeah. seen that specifically flagged as a, a homoerotic scene. Actually. Yeah, oh. and you, if you could read it that way, you could, you know, it works. Yeah. Well, if Tyler is is being homoerotic with Jack, this gets a little complicated because in which case, he did, I tell, he did say self improvement was masturbation. I, yeah, exactly. I have a lot of homoerotic moments with me as well. <laughs> That's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, also, like, there's there's a specific... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think you. I'm pretty sexually open-minded. I jerk off myself and I'm a man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, things get pretty freaky at my house. <laughs> oh, I've touched one penis quite often, I gotta tell you. <laughs> like, I'm not ready to start in milk, too, but, you know, I'm open, is what I'm saying. Uh, I know you've been married to a man for 50 years, but might I suggest? <laughs> I mean, <coughs> for what it's worth, there's a lot of. Um, one thing I was reading, there's a lot of like reviews and cultural crit- critiques that see this as like uh, some sort of like queer story and s- stuff like that and sexual awakening. I'm I'm not the right person probably to uh, to to go into that. And I I I was actually surprised at how much there was. Um, and I would definitely would like to to read more uh, just about that that particular um, perspective. Yeah, because I I think it's obvious, and I think also knowing that when this book and this movie came out that. Uh, uh, Chuck Palahniuk was a closeted gay man, and so a lot of those things were actually seen as like, wow, just like I said, like these are like what a what a straight male fantasy movie, and obviously there's a lot more going on under the surface there from the writer. So yeah, yeah. it yeah, and also like the 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 coolest woman he could possibly imagine being a um, sad goth girl, I think is you know it, it appeals to a lot of people. Um, uh, yeah, I think when Tim Burton saw this movie, he did a lot of homoerotic things to himself. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then he married her. I forgot about that. Um, did you? This, ever this, I mean, this was. I think he saw her in this and cast her in Planet of the Apes the next year. Yeah, he was like God. changed his life. You know what? You're pretty hot right now, but just wait till. <laughs> Wait till Rick, Rick Baker gets his hands on you. <laughs> that was the only way that he could direct that movie because he was still overwhelmed by horniness. He's like, the, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to get to set standing up if you know what I mean. There's only so much black clothes I can wear that can hide this. <laughs> it hides your frame. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that is 
isn't that movie that's that's in that movie uh uh Mark Wahlberg and her her character I'm not going to pretend to know the know her character's name in the Planet of the Apes remake. Um don't they have a sexual bordering on sexual relationship in that movie? I yeah, I think they kiss. Yeah. Uh, I, but anyways, Hel- Helena Bonham Carter. Do you think Tim uh, Burton sees himself as a Mark Wahlberg type? Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> is that wait is 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 Tim Burton's Tyler Durden Mark Wahlberg? <laughs> That's a lot of math. It's, just, it's late at night. A lot yeah, of math. checks out, night. but uh, but he, might be uh, controversial. Yeah, Helena Bonham Carter uh, did have an interesting moment as like a, a sex figure for like ten years after this movie, um, and she's very she's both very naked in this movie, and I'm not sure how much of it is CGI, but I think the weird most thing of it is, yeah. I, I, the weird thing about it for me. And obviously, us three three guys are not going to be able to fully uh, 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 encapsulate this question. I'd be open for to read some more on this, but like the weird thing is, I don't necessarily think Marla Singer is a misogynistic character or a misogynistic stand-in. I actually think like it's she's a pretty complex character who's just yeah. stuck in an abusive relationship, and she stands up for herself, but she also she likes the soft delicate sides of him she's not just an object for tyler to abuse but like that is definitely part of the movie that tyler is basically like chatting her like he's basically using her as like a a output of his masculinity that like of course tyler jordan doesn't need women but of course you know if there's a woman handy tyler jordan's gonna have the best it's it's sport fucking yeah yeah and uh, things are going to get so wet and wild and you wear yellow rubber gloves during it. I remember as a kid thinking that was like so cool. And as an adult, <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is a joke. Oh, got it. You yeah, I, def- I definitely thought that there was an advanced level of sexuality <laughs> that I had got to that constantly used dish gloves. <laughs> Just dozens of gloves wandering yeah, your house. I'm definitely going to need some dish gloves. No. Yeah. I, I ask, uh, I, I, I'm like, I'm like, uh, at a woman's house in college and, uh, I, and I'm like, oh shit, do you have a rubber? And she like pulls out a condom and I was like, no, I meant, you know, rubbers. <laughs> <laughs> two two yellow gloves come out of my pockets. Making pistol noises. <laughs> it's, yeah, like I'm an FBI agent that come out of the yeah. drawstrings. <laughs> um, yeah, she, uh, she. I think her character works really well. Like, yeah, I agree. I, it's not a misogynistic portrayal. I think, you know, like I said, there's. Um, I read some good critiques that were like her scene in the diner where she kind of is like hey yeah we were both kind of fucked up and sad and depressed but like you need some serious professional help and I'm walking into traffic but I'm like she doesn't say that as a mean thing she's saying like like I like you I like being with you please go to therapy <laughs> like yeah. you have you have gone into a very dark area beyond even like where our mutual depression and disillusionment started from and like it's easy to miss those moments because you are just kind of like – at that point, you're like, what? He's the same person and you're getting like kind of dragged along into the kind of the adventure ride that has the back half of the – or the back third of this movie. But yeah, I, I I think she I think she's well acquitted in this movie. Yeah. My only complaint about her character is that she's like the only woman character in the movie essentially. 
So there's just an entire movie riding on her back. And like, yeah. there's kind of no, that kind of leaves a very little room for any nuance, any extra characterization, any sort of, uh, any nuance, I guess, about the worldview towards women, right? If, if, if you can fit your entire worldview within Marla Singer, then you're Marla Singer, then you're safe. If it's outside yeah. of Marla Singer, you're still safe because there's no other women to really cast. Yeah, to me, it's it's another, uh, you know, is it uh, an aspect of the critique or is it an embodiment of what's being criticized? You know, it's the same yeah. sort of same sort of vibe. Because, I mean, it is about misogyny. And, yeah. you know, she is sidelined in this story of, you know, unbridled, you know, um, toxic masculinity. So it's like, yeah, of course she is. But then yeah, it's well, also absolutely. doing it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. the Rob. It's the Rob Gordon thing too, from High Fidelity too. Like both of those movies are so, are, I think, are somewhat similar, honestly, because like the movie is wholly from our main character's perspective, and our main character's perspective is not a good dude. <laughs> so, like, yeah, is it the fact that he kept feeling like guilt around her presence, and like I can lie to all these, like. I, you know, I can do all these things around all these men and I can hug Bob, but like her is like, now I'm guilty and angry and I'm putting all my now frustration on this person and like trying to get rid of her for most of the movie so that he can be alone with his fight club. Like that, that's, there's not a secondary scene where we see Marla outside of, outside of uh, her interactions with Jack or Tyler because the movie exists wholly in her head. But I think you're right. Like it, that's the reason why I think you could make a case that it's part of the critique, but functionally it works to to allow for bad actors or people who are taking the wrong message from this to be able to go like, man, look at how much Marvel sucks and look how much the boys have a good time together when she's not around and everything else, because that's his, that's our, that's our protagonist interpretation of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, and and I I think maybe we could probably move towards final thoughts. Yeah, but, uh, Rick, is there any particular scenes you like that touched you that we didn't talk about, or any particular scenes that pissed you off? Is there anything we like any specific parts of this movie we just didn't get to? Yeah, I mean, um, when one aspect of the aesthetic I really like is the uh, the IKEA scene of panning around with the uh, the price tag showing up, which reminds me a lot of something similar in um, American Psycho. Is uh, yeah. Yeah. Similar, uh, similar trope, but I think it's a really effective one um, just to show the ways in which, you know, it, you know, it's like we keep coming back to it. It has these, like, I, we can make, I can make fun of it for being kind of, uh, you know, like remedial philo- or intro to philosophy or whatever. But there is this aspect where, you know, our, our, the relationship we have with these things that come to occup- dominate our lives and the aspirational you know, you're going to fill a hole in yourself with, uh, with acquisition through something acquisitive is, um, the diagnosis of a real thing. So I think that yeah. that works really effectively. Um, the whole first part of the movie works really effectively. I, I agree. Uh, the opinion. first part of the movie is really, I was like, Oh my God, is this like still an amazing yeah. movie? I, I think it's still, I think it's still good. We've been making fun of a lot of like different aspects being corny, but like, the first part of the movie and the, the piece you're highlighting is just such a stylistic like showcase immediately. I think of yeah. movies like Layer Cake that wouldn't exist without like that first third of the movie. Yeah, I actually read on the um, one of the descriptions of it that they weren't the studio didn't want the narration. They had to push back for the narration. So which funny. is like imagine this movie with the narration stripped out. Like it's a becomes a very strange 
object, I think. Where he has to, like, tell another character, oh my god, I'm Tyler Durden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. The inventor of the Fight Club. Oh, god. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I think the biggest thing we didn't talk about is that this, of course, had a very famous, in some ways eclipsed the fame of this movie, uh, PlayStation 2 video game adaptation uh, in 2006, <laughs> uh, which was a fighting game, uh, and you could unlock the secret character of Fred Durst. So, that's, all, that's 100% true. It's all 100% true. It's a roller coaster of a it was just a It was just a, a stupid fighting game that had Fight Club on it. Um, no, they didn't get the right, the visual rights for anyone in the movie. So no, just people just are called Tyler Durden or Bob and they just look like PlayStation two sprites, but you could, they did get the rights for Fred Durst. Uh, so, yeah. so he I, was much like you could play as Al Gore in NBA jam. Uh, there's a fight club game and you can play as Fred Durst. If that is your preferred way to experience this story. <laughs> um, I, I mostly like the fights and also I want to hit a bunch of buttons that don't do what I want them to do. Yeah. Um, um, really, I really what I want. I, my final thoughts. So I, I recognize like this movie is too important to my movie loving origin story for me to like, I, I wasn't going to go back to this movie and I didn't, Donnie Darko had enough things where I, like, kind of put it away because I was getting, like, oh, is this not that good? As, as good? Like, it's not hitting me the same way that I had when I was younger. And I started to recognize that, like, oh, maybe I've outgrown some of the parts of this movie. And obviously then rewatching it for the first time in, like, 20 years, I was like, yeah, this good first effort. You can see a lot of immaturity here and some things that just really don't work and like stuff like that. This was a little different. I didn't, I didn't put it away because like I was outgrowing it or even because like I wasn't getting the same charges from seeing it. I just had seen it so many times and everyone else had seen it a million times. And it's like, why do I, this movie that I can recite by heart and like know every little movement, like why do I need to see it again? There's no one in the world. There's no one in my, it's not as important to me anymore that I, I would show it to be like, Oh my God. Like, you need to see Fight Club the way I, like, go around showing I think you should leave to people now. Or, like, this is so good and it's – if you haven't seen it, it's it's really funny and we – blah, blah, blah. Like, Fight Club is – you didn't I didn't have that aspect anymore and I didn't – like, I wasn't sitting and watching it on repeat anymore. So, uh, I kind of just put it away from, from that perspective. But I, I kind of knew going back to it that I had generally, like, the filmmaking aspects, the the – so many the performances, the everything else here, like I look back on fondly and I put it away more just also because like the cultural conversation around it was just like like I said, you don't want to you don't want to say I like this movie and for that to be a warning as to who you are as a person. And like also you understand that that's OK. Like people should if someone told me their favorite movie was Fight Club or, you know, one of their favorite movies was Fight Club, I would have the same questions. And so. Um, so I, I was never, I don't think I was ever going to go like, oh, this movie is a three star movie. I was surprised at how well it held up and I was surprised at how, how well I was able to like appreciate it from the perspective I talked about at the beginning. Like this seems ahead of its time. It really, some of the, the areas that like I was probably at least like, uh, like I have a, I have a, a newfound way to express the way that it, that I, that I didn't 15 years ago around like the way it's taking these like. It, it's it's correctly identifying the symptom and then giving a different uh, um, medication solution treatment to it that like is so seamless and so easy and I've seen it now repeated over and over in different forums and on the world stage and everything else in the last 
in the last t- 10 years. So, like, I I find it still very, like, prescient. I find it very interesting. I, I find it kind of, like, there's a, there's a level of complexity, as you noted, Peter, on the end of this movie about what I'm supposed to be feeling and what I am feeling. And then, like, what does that say about everything else? And I, I still think this is, like, again, it's one thing we're going to talk about next week when we do Goodfellas, which I just also recently rewatched in preparation for that, is that, like, I hope that every every generation of, like, high schoolers who are interested in cinema find Goodfellas because it's exciting and it grabs you and it's kinetic and it's, like, if you are interested for, like, what can film do that I haven't seen in, like, my PG, you know, G to PG-13 upbringing, like, Goodfellas is going to blow your mind and start opening up to a whole new world of cinema. It's perfect for that. Even I would say to some extent, some of the – we're going to do Clockwork Orange. I don't know if Clockwork Orange falls in that. I haven't seen it in a long time. But Stanley Kubrick movies are great for that too. Like I didn't know that this was what movies could be. I think that Fight Club will continue to be that. I But like High Fidelity, I think it's better suited for people that are not 17 because while the cinematic techniques – and the maximalism on display is very exciting and understanding. It makes you go, holy shit, I didn't know movies could do this. It It's underlying complexity of satire versus uh, fascism versus the depiction that it's doing just requires a lot of other information for you not to get sucked up the wrong alley by seeing this movie. So I, I think it's a great movie for uh, 40-year-olds like me. And I'm not going to rush out and show my uh, kids this when they're in high school or anything like that either. Yeah. Uh, Rick, Rick, what were your kind of thoughts on this? Yeah. So. I, that, was, uh, that was really interesting. Um, I mean, I think that uh, it suffers or the, the, the dangers that it poses are a lot, a lot of it's related to it's anti-hero tropes. I'm usually kind of skeptical of um, – the anti-hero defense because everyone says it about everything it's like oh well it's an anti-hero story yeah. it's like yeah but you spend all your time yeah what do you think you see everything be, from should be your follow-up question <laughs> you see everything from that perspective and uh that's the world that you're inhabiting and they do everything they can to make that character appealing it seems like our protagonist i'm pretty sure it's our protagonist um or audience identification figure but i think actually they more or less pull off the um that that balancing act in this one like i i didn't despite it's like iconic stature as like the like most easily misinterpreted you know (laughs) character to adorn dorm walls for your whole your season it's like uh it seemed pretty clear i don't know it seemed a lot less um up for debate what was going on um as far as its critique to me watching on this video and i do think it does it you know it makes a lot of the right connections and if it doesn't you know uh come up with like a programmatic solution to it i'm not sure that's like david fincher's job or yeah, you know the movie's true. job um although you know i'm sympathetic to the the readings that you know the idea the the charisma the charisma of the character is like corruptive of um a lot of these things that we see represented in you know in mass movements since then so yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah. And I, I think that, like, to jump off of that for my final thoughts, like, a thing that I've talked about a lot on the show and I keep thinking about, I guess, is that, like, right-wingers kind of have no inherent culture. <laughs> like, there's 
cop culture that's that falls in their prey but like there's there that like falls in their their field um jimmy buffett jimmy buffett but like they don't have like a lot of mass culture that they can they can glom onto that other people actually like right like a lot of like obviously they make their own music like there's there's nazi death metal right like um a lot of culture can be sort of um lean fascist like i just like yeah. cop media, a lot of cop media it's why every presidential the election about- there's a the, every every singer's like nope not what the song means please stop playing it, it yeah <laughs> a lot of narratives are around uh, a lot of narratives that take place during wartime um a lot of westerns end up like uh, codifying right-wing talking points but a lot of these these works end up being taking place in a, in a in a culture that's inherently more broad appealing and more um uh not full of of brimming with the hate that the right-wing nazi audience really wants right and so they end up having to take movies like this that like have the seed of it in there or have like that um emotional resonance that they felt and kind of just uh, attach themselves to it and um it's because they're 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 the entire right-wing apparatus and nazi culture is is destructive of creation right it's it's not it's not that it's destroying to create it's destroying of creation there's a creative action happening all day every day by people just trying to get on with their lives and and uh, fascism is destruction with the hopes that maybe someday where they can build something better and they they never do right um it's because they have to keep destroying and keep pushing that promise of the future out right and um i i can see why because especially right now all that shit is so scary that it's easy to 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 like just throw some of these pieces of artwork in with that like throw that baby out with the bathwater or whatever analogy you want to use for that like you want to um you want to throw some of these works out because they they kind of feel dangerous. They feel uncomfortable. Um, but I think that movies like this, um, just because there's like an inherent appeal to bad people doesn't necessarily mean that they need to be thrown out because bad people get attached to awesome work all the time. Right. Um, bad people don't have a lot of culture that is staunchly specifically for them. Most artwork that's made in Hollywood is fairly centrist and fairly milk and toast in terms of its politics, right? <laughs> um, it's, very, it's very much backing up the status quo. Um, and so when these, these awful people find these works that can see, they can see as an endorsement of their deconstructionism of, of our society, they um, really run wild. And you can't stop that, right? Uh, all you can do is have proper conversations about, about how to stop fascism, right? Um, but yeah, like the, 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 the movie itself, I think isn't a perfect, uh, you know, encapsulation of how, uh, these movements work, but I think it's a pretty darn, uh, like, uh, approachable one. It's a pretty, it's one that you could show to a 13 year old and they'd understand. Right. And the idea is that like Edward Norton had nothing to live for. I'm about the age actually Edward Norton was, and I have a very stable life. I'm very much in like a, um, point in my life where I feel like things are going my way. I, I, I have a lot going on, but I still have these, these feelings that I'm like, I'm just stuck in these cycles of consumerism. And what am I buying all this stupid bullshit for? I still get tricked into thinking buying that new thing is going to make me happy. Like a lot of the, I'm buying one sunglass a day. 
<laughs> and I, you know what? I might just buy the hammock right yeah. after this. Um, and I, I think, I think you guys understand what I'm saying is yeah. that like, even with a stability and a happiness in my life, and I'm doing much better than someone like, uh, you know, this, this, uh, lone loner incel figure is, I still see the appeal in uh, someone coming in and saying, none of that shit matters. You know, fuck it all. Let's burn it down. Like you, anybody could, could see that. And it's particularly dangerous that that message is actually appealing. If you have very little to lose mm-hmm. someone who's so lonely, they've, they have very little prospects for their economic future. They're suffering under a lot of debt, yada, yada. Um, breaking someone down to build them back up again is a fascist yeah. mechanism. It's That's, a yeah, fascist bottom, mechanism. Right? That's what they keep saying in this movie. Yeah, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah this was a really fun one to, to revisit. Um, and yeah, Rick, thank you so much for coming on to, to do that with us. I can't think of a better better guest uh i think yeah, that for buddy. every episode but i'll say for this one specifically i can't think of a better guest um it's great to see you guys uh anything you yeah. want to promote uh no don't uh fight fascism yeah wait don't fight fascism don't don't <laughs> not yeah no i do fight fascism don't be a fascist <laughs> not in a club don't, do don't not fight fascism yeah yeah don't it put it we'll put it in the show notes <laughs> great uh next week speaking of like um another movie that makes a lot of people go oh my god movies are great as i just said next week we're doing uh goodfellas with carrie Nel- nelson uh they also haven't been on the show for a while but not as long as rick uh, so we'll have to have that means we'll have to have rick back sooner and make uh them wait a whole year to join as kind of a penalty box but also to make sure we <laughs> We got to keep things even. It's important to know right. that all friends need to be even because we're socialists. And so so we don't believe that anyone should ever have anything more than anyone else, which I think is based on this Tyler Durden blog I'm reading is what that means. So, <laughs> yeah. and, and they know what they did. Yeah. No, they do. Uh, all right. Well, Engaged we'll... with us in any way. <laughs> True. <laughs> all right. Well, next week's for the fellas, the good fellas. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show 
show, we truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches. Peter and Aaron. (laughs) 